This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hey everybody, it's the Hockey News Podcast. Matt Larkin here, back with our first line formation, if you will. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm throwing shade at Edward Fraser, but you know, this is the usual gang. It's me, Ken Campbell, Ryan He's Kennedy. A He's a poser. <laughs> uh, and we obviously, uh, as promised, are going to preview the Central Division today. But before we do that, we can't not talk about the Max Pacioretty trade that mm-hmm. I believe dropped at 1.08 a.m. Eastern time. Wow. The deal finally went down. Max Pacioretty goes to the Vegas Golden Knights. The Habs get Thomas Tatar, prospect Nick Suzuki, 2019 second-round pick. Uh, I guess the, the question we have to ask right off the top is who won this trade? Mm. Well, I mean, considering, considering the spot that Montreal was in, uh, before they made this trade, basically washing their hands of Max Pacioretty, wanting nothing to do with him and not wanting to re-sign a guy who had made it very, very clear, very publicly that he wanted to stay. And this was becoming such a, a public relations nightmare for them. I, I think actually the return was pretty good. Um, in Nick Suzuki, they got a guy who's coming off 96 and 100 points the last two years in the, uh, in the Ontario Hockey League. A really, really good prospect. A guy who, based on talent alone, probably could step in and play on this team next year especially for a team that's looking for some scoring. Um, I'm not sure that would be the right move for him. Uh, But, you know, I mean, I I think he's a guy that could come in and play. Um, I look at it from Vegas's side, and I'm actually pretty impressed that um, George McPhee, I mean, when he took over the the Vegas Golden Knights, he said the, the one great thing about having this team is there's you're starting with a clean slate right there's no bad contracts no you know none of the none of the stuff that's hanging over no you know no headaches in that respect well he picked up a really bad contract (laughs) when he picked up Thomas Tatar's contract and I'm actually pretty impressed that he was able to flip that uh that contract off to somebody else um you know Tatar will have a chance to again you know be a guy that could revitalize himself in Montreal. They need scoring. They need some, you know, somebody who can give him some pop and maybe he's the kind of guy that can do that. Based on his play down the stretch with Vegas and the fact that he couldn't even get in the lineup by the, you know, Stanley Cup final, I'm not sure that's the case, but um, you know, hopefully you have a motivated guy. But um, you know, I mean, I, I'm I think it's it's one of those ones that's good for both teams. I mean, Montreal had to make this trade. Uh, Pacioretty had, had put the deadline down of the, the regular season. There was no way they could go into the season with him basically being a rental uh, for somebody. So they had to get some return. They got a good young player. They got a second-round pick. Uh, you know, that'll, that, that'll be, you know, whatever it is. Um, but I think given the circumstances, I think it was a pretty good deal for Montreal and, and a good deal for Vegas. Yeah, I agree. I, when I saw it, I was like, oh, good for Bergevin. He didn't lose the trade. Um, and, and, like, honestly, like, Nick Suzuki, very good young prospect, super smart, uh, drives possession. As you said, Kenny's put up a lot of offense. If he goes back to the Owen Sound attack, he would be one of my favorites to lead the league in scoring this right. year. And as you point out, you know, based on Montreal's depth chart, he could step right in. Now, is it worth it? For him to go back, you know, 
play in the World Juniors and you know dominate. Yeah. He wants to win a title. I actually just spoke with him the other week. He wants to win a title in Owen Sound. Mm. Uh, so he has those goals. He could maybe do both though. Like maybe he plays, you know, plays up until you know late November or sure. something. The nine game you know, mark, or, yeah. or even beyond the nine game mark. I, yeah. I don't. I don't know that that's really something that's really foremost on everybody's mind but yeah. say he plays 15 16 20 games or whatever up to christmas goes to the world juniors and then goes back to owen sound and tears it up there uh for a year i i guess my question ryan is do you see him project him at the nhl level as a center or a winger i do see him as a center but probably a second line center yeah. now given montreal's depth chart they kind of have, you know, because Ryan Paling, I would say, is also a second-line center, but a completely different kind of second-line center. Right. With Jesperi Kakaniemi, you know, I mean, their hope is he could be a number one center, but that's going to be years down the road for him to actually be able to fill that role. So I, I think Suzuki, he could be your number one center, but you wouldn't be, like, a contender in that regard. Like, he would yeah. best be in that second line role where he could really make some hay and you know really get some good matchups and I mean he can do a lot out there but I, I don't know if he you know just based on his frame and everything um, if he can be that dominant right NHL he's not, center. he's not a huge guy he's like five eleven whatever yeah he yeah he's, he's probably like got some weight to put on yeah exactly. so I guess I guess the question is is you know. You, yeah, I mean, Montreal, the, you know, center's been the, the black hole of death and yeah. will continue to be one for probably the short term at the very least. Certainly. But you look long term and you go, okay, so what does a, um, you know, a center ice core of Kakaniniemi, uh, Paling, and Suzuki, how does that stack up long term yeah. against, you know, what other teams are doing? And, yeah. Right. You know, do, have they finally, at least in the long term, have they finally addressed that? They, they drafted like seven centers mm. in the last draft. So have they finally, I guess the question is, have they finally, have they finally put that to bed for a long term uh, sort of thing? Yeah. I'm not sure they quite have, uh, just because... You kind of want that sure thing. You know, like when the Sabres got Eichel, when the Leafs got Matthews, when the Oilers got McDavid, you could say, like, okay, that's your number one center for the next decade. Um, with this, there's a little more wiggle room where I think things have to break a certain way, guys have to develop a certain way. You know, if Montreal wins the draft lottery and gets Jack Hughes, then, yeah, they're set. That changes everything. For sure. That changes everything because yeah. now you can slot guys in. It's like maybe Suzuki's on the wing. Maybe Kakaniemi's on the wing because that's where he played all of last year mm -hmm. uh, back in Finland. So then you have more options. Right now I think they're certainly in a better place than they were yesterday, um, but nothing is for sure. I see kind of a Ryan O'Reilly type ceiling for Nick Suzuki, right? A guy that would be an ideal number two center because he does things well at either end of the ice. But like you said, you don't want O'Reilly to be your number one center, then your team would be in trouble. But like he is in St. Louis now, pretty nice fit as a number two. Hmm. I think what people, what people need to understand about Montreal too is if they're complaining about the return, which I think some people seem to be on Twitter, yes, Max Pacioretty will likely sign an extension with Vegas, as the deal was reportedly, as you said before this podcast, can contingent on that. But from Montreal's perspective, he was an expiring contract because yeah. you know Patrick was not coming back. Right. So considering that, I think the return 
is pretty decent. And I think it speaks volumes for Vegas that this team is going for it. And they traded one of their three best prospects. They had that great 2017 draft where they got Glass and Brandstrom as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it is a lot to give up. But it sends to me a pretty strong message that they believe what they did last year and that they think they can win a Pacific division that is pretty wide open, in my opinion, sure, still. Uh, and adding Pacioretty, you got leadership, you get more goal-scoring skill. Suddenly swapping out James Neal and David Perrault and bringing in Paul Stastny at center, of course, right. and Pacioretty, maybe that's actually an upgrade over mm-hmm. what they lost. Yeah. So suddenly it makes me rethink Vegas's position in that division for this coming season. Yeah, good boy. Uh, and speaking of this coming season, we're going to preview the Central Division now. Um, as we've done last week with the Atlantic, we're going to start at the bottom. And this feels like the twilight zone compared to what we used to do in previews a few years ago. But the Chicago Blackhawks, to me, not only are they at the bottom, they're at the bottom by a mile. I think mm, there's yeah. a significant gap between even the sixth place team and Chicago, and I, I know Chicago fans might not like that, but hey, look at the standings last year. And last year you had Corey Crawford for half a season. Uh, this year it's still possible you get no Corey Crawford. That head injury is very scary, career-threatening. We don't know when he's going to be ready. Uh, and Cam Ward is, I don't know if he's a safety net because he was terrible. He was probably the worst goaltender rate stat-wise. He and Scott Darling were neck and neck. Mm. Worst goalies in the league last year. So I, I don't think Chicago's actually repaired its goaltending. Without Corey Crawford, but what do you guys think? Are, are they as bad as most people are now projecting them to be? Uh, well, if you mean most people, you, by us? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah, I think I non-Blackhawks fans. I think fans. they are. I mean, we, we had a podcast a couple of weeks ago where we had our, our crazy predictions, and mine was that Chicago was going to finish 31st overall, and they were going to win the lottery and get Jack Hughes and, and start the rebuild. And, I, mm. I, you know, I mean, I really think that's possible. I mean, Jonathan Daves can talk all he wants about rededicating himself to the game and, and what he wants to do. But, um, uh, I, you know, I, I don't know that – I just don't know that it's there anymore. I mean, there's, there's – that's, that's – to me, he's, he's a poster boy for kind of the diminishing asset as a player, you know. Uh, I just don't – know that there's a big revival left in him and um you know i mean defensively they're they're really really suspect and really long in the tooth you know we talked about the goaltending i mean they're just they just it's weird i mean this was the scariest team in the league a couple years ago and i just don't see anything on this team that scares anybody anymore yeah maybe patrick kane that would be kind of the only big time threat i think I mean, this is this is fine for Chicago. It had to happen eventually, and you know, I was in Traverse City on the weekend for the the big prospects tournament there. Chicago is one of the teams. And it was funny talking to you know other people that were sort of regulars at the tournament, where in past years the Blackhawks team was always quote unquote bad because they never had any high end prospect. They would bring in a lot of free agents. They would have a couple of their own guys, but they did they didn't really do too well. Last year they won the tournament. This year, in the games that I saw, they were pretty good. Uh, you had Adam Boakvist, uh, who is going to play for the London Knights this year, but he was their mm-hmm. first rounder. Uh, you know, Nicholas Bodan looked really good on a pairing with Boakvist. He was another first rounder this year. Henry Yokiharyu looked nice on the back end as well. He was a first rounder before that. Um, and then you had a couple of guys that are going to get time this year. Dylan Sakura looked really nice up front. Victor Aschel as well, who they got in the Ryan Hartman trade from Nashville. That's the kind of guy where this is the season where you see what he can do. You know, is he a center at the NHL level? Do you, do you put him on wing? Um, you know, can he use his size? How can he stack up against the big boys? Uh, I think there are a couple of other players 
that will continue to grow and you just you let them have that space because it's not your year and as you said Matt with Corey Crawford um, and and his head I mean you might get 60 games out of them you might get six mm-hmm. you have no idea and they don't really have much goaltending depth uh, behind Cam Ward and as you pointed out Cam Ward not the same Cam Ward that won the Stanley Cup with the Carolina Hurricanes all those years ago. Hasn't been for a while. Hasn't been for a while. (laughs) Carolina kept bringing him back because their other options kept getting worse. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think this is the year where Chicago just kind of like lets the kids play, let them develop, and expectations in terms of standings are quite low. You got the leadership there. You know, Keith is still there. Taves is still there. Seabrook's still there. So it'll be a good room. But um, in terms of wins and losses, I think they're going to be in trouble. Yeah, and for Blackhawks fans out there, uh, hopefully you understand, that's perfectly okay. You got your three Stanley Cups, and Stan Bowman had a very distinct roster model, very top-heavy. You pay huge money to the big stars. You keep replacing them with depth. But the problem is, under that model, when the big stars start to age out, so we've seen it already with Seabrook, starting with Taves now, maybe Keith soon, he's in his mid-30s, then when those guys aren't elite anymore, then the whole thing collapses. So Pittsburgh Penguins fans, enjoy it while you have it, because (laughs) this is going to happen to the Penguins. It's going to be in a couple more years, because you still have good years left of Crosby and Malkin, but when their games start to age out, the Penguins, they've had one first-round pick in the last five years, and they traded it. It was Kasperi Kapanen. They have, you know, they're they're in go-for-broke mode, just like Chicago has been, and I think Chicago now is what the Penguins are going to be in maybe three, four years. So just remember this Penguins fans, enjoy it because the bottom will fall out because you cannot stop Sidney Crosby from aging someday. Yeah. It'll happen. Um, next up, we have a team in sixth, ranked sixth. We seem to never give this team respect, even right. though they made the playoffs six years in a row. Um, but I, I still stand by where we have them because they did so little to improve this offseason. The Minnesota Wild, and they count uh, in our little depth charts in our season preview, the, the names in red, the new additions, they count the likes of Eric Fair, Matt Hendricks, JT Brown. I think Greg Pattern was probably their best addition. He's sneaky good yeah. as a shutdown guy. Yeah, but, but yeah, if that's yeah. your best addition, yeah. and we know why, because the Wild are crippled by Zach Parise's contract and Ryan Suter's contract, and in this era uh, with those guys, they haven't been able to really add much uh, via free agency and... They're really just locked in. They have $1 million left in cap space. Wow. They had to use their money on re-signing Jason Zucker and Matt Dumba. Yeah. And the teams around them, a lot of them are getting better. So I just, to me, I, I just, the Wild are fine. They're reasonably right. competitive yeah. team. Right, right. But they're just kind of there. Right. Yeah. They're, they're just a team. They're just a team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're just, yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're like the London Knights used to be all those years. Just a team. You know, and... and I, I'm not sure that they're that they're crippled by the Ryan Suter contract. I don't think they're crippled by that contract. I think he still is a guy. He's delivered value. He's del- yeah. He delivers value For on sure. that contract, and he'll still be a 27 minute a night guy. I talked to him last week. He said I said something about you know, do, do you think now that maybe you know with the injury last year that maybe this is a sign that you're going to have to cut back a little bit? And he's like, nope. I have no, I have absolutely <laughs> zero interest in doing that. Uh-uh. No, I'm playing 27 minutes a game, just trying not to put me out there. So, I mean, and they are crippled by the Zach Parise contract, not because of anything Zach Parise did, other than just wear down and get injured. Right. Uh-huh. Um, still a good player, still a good guy, uh, but just can't deliver because his body won't let him do it. Uh-huh. And you know, like you say, I mean, this is a team that was that's kind of constantly been spinning its wheels, anyways, mm-hmm. and. You know, that kind of screams for bold move, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you think, 
you know, new GM, you know, Paul Fenton comes in, he's, he's you know, been David Poyle's right-hand man. David Poyle's like the big, as you call him, like Matt, the cowboy. The cowboy, yeah. You know, he likes to make these great big trades, and you're thinking, okay, maybe something big happens here, and nothing happens. Nothing really big happens at all. Um, so I, I just don't think status quo is going to cut it there. Like, it's not... This team isn't going to get better organically, you know, like from within, right? Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think I think I think we have them in the right place. I mean, the, the the thing about Minnesota is every year they've been they've been really good in the regular season, and they haven't been able to get it done in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But now I think we're suggesting that maybe you know even the regular season might be a real challenge for these guys. Yeah, and I, I kind of look at it like. Like Paul Fenton inherited this machine that looks okay from the outside, but then you take the panel off and there's just like wires everywhere. Yeah. And it's like, I, I think the reason he hasn't done much because he's kind of looking at it like, how do I fix this? Yeah. Like in the short term. And I'm not yeah. sure there really is an answer. You mentioned Suter, and I mean, he's had a lot of hard miles on that body. For me, guys like him and Koivu and Eric Stahl. Like, Eric Stahl had a fantastic year last season. But it's like, can he do it again? Yeah, they're all yeah. In their, they're yeah. Pro- getting to their mid-30s they're getting now. getting to their mid-30s. These are guys that have been in the league forever. I mean, they were always really good guys, you know, always getting big minutes. So I, I, that just kind of worries me. And the sort of uh, fallout from that is you have some guys knocking on the door, like Jordan Greenway, like Joel Erickson-Eck, who haven't made an impact yet. You know, Erickson Eck had a pretty disappointing rookie campaign. Uh, Greenway, like, still a work in progress. You know, he's got that great big frame. Um, you know, just, I think he needs to get a little nastier um, to, to really make that sing. But there's potential there. But where do those minutes come from when you still have the Koivus, the Stalls, the Parises out there? On the back end, I think they're, they're okay because, I mean, Dumba has certainly shown that he can be that top-end guy. But, yeah, it's just uh, the parts, they don't seem to really fit together, and, uh, and that's a problem in this division because it, it is, like, just a buzzsaw. And, and it's funny because a reader was asking me this that, uh, last week, what would you do with the Wild? And I said, honestly, I would consider blowing them up, which seems crazy. But what's happened is a couple years ago, when we did our Future Watch, we felt really good about the Wild's their youth crop, but Alex Tooks traded to Las Vegas. Yep. Uh, Luke Cunning shredded his knee last year, so he's coming back from a major injury. And like you said, Eric Snack, bad rookie year. Um, and the guy that they, they need most to be the really big impact player is in Russia till 2019 20. <laughs> yeah. he, they need him to be their Jenny Kuznetsov, but yeah. by the time he comes, then Miko Koivu is going to be 37. He might be ready to retire. Mm. Uh, so the big major impact help isn't coming, even though I like Greenway. It's mm. not like Greenway's going to be a Jamie Benn level power forward in the NHL. No. He might be a rich man's Marcus Foligno or, mm. or maybe a Milan Lucic or, you know. Yeah. So I just don't know if the help's coming and, and uh, I just think they're behind with the rest of this division. Yeah. Uh, moving on, now we're getting to the playoff bubble teams um, and the Colorado Avalanche, a team that surprised last year. Uh, based on our ranking of fifth, we're not getting carried away with that. Uh, And I think part of it is, and I really applaud Joe Sackick for this, it's the same thing with Ray Shiro. He is not getting too excited by one big season 
with this team. Because we saw Colorado learn that lesson in 2013-14. Boy, they yeah. almost won the President's Trophy, and then they took a big step back. And, and the Avalanche were not aggressive this offseason at all. They're still just letting it marinate. They've got some obviously really exciting kids coming along on defense. And Kale McCarr, Connor Timmons, if Timmons' concussions are going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seems like they're sort of a team that is okay with maybe even taking a step back in the name of a better future. What do you guys think about that idea? Well, I mean, when you when you improve by what forty seven points, mm-hmm. you're from the one of the biggest year, improvements yeah, of all yeah, time. I mean, yeah. I mean you, you're not going to see that kind of improvement again, right? You, you, <laughs> it, it, there, there probably is going to be a natural kind of step back with this team. I think you know a, a lot of things fell into place. I mean, and I, and I think I mean we're going to look back at that Duchesne trade as the moment in time, right? Mm. As the moment in time when things turned around for this franchise and. And, and they started to, you know, get things back on a right track. Um, you know, a good team, not a great team. Uh, some really good talent up, up top. Wonder a bit about their depth at every position but goal. Mm. Um, and I think that that will be something that they'll have to address. And they'll have, you know, I mean, some of their players are going to get better, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, some of these younger guys, I mean, they're obviously going to be counting on, you know, like Kale McCarr, Connor Timmons to... to, to um, to kind of step up, but but even guys like, um, you know, like a, a JT Comfer or uh, Tyson Jost, you know, mm-hmm. Carl Soderberg, those are the guys I think that are going to dictate how this team does. You, you, I mean, you know their first line is going to be great. Mm-hmm. You know, you know their top line is going to be one of the dominant lines in the game. But I think how these guys do and where they finish and where everything fleshes out is in how some of these younger players, you know, the Kerfoots and guys like that, um, make that step, make that next step. And we've seen that sometimes it can really be a bit of an odyssey. It can be a bit of a stutter, you know, for some of these guys. Mm-hmm. Guys that came out and had a good first year, you know, sometimes take that step back in the second year or third year. So um, if that happens, then this team will probably go back to reality a little bit. But, you know, it's it's more about the future with this team anyways. Yes, yeah, certainly. And there's bound to be a bit of regression, um, Simply because, like, Alexander Kerfoot, it, it's funny. We talked a lot in the offseason about William Carlson and his shooting percentage. Uh, it, was the, it was tied for the best amongst NHL regulars with Alex Kerfoot. Huh. So can Alex Kerfoot shoot the lights out yet again like that? Well, I mean, if we're going to say William Carlson is maybe a 30 guy instead of a 40 guy, then I think we still have the same. Got to say the same thing for Alex Kerfoot, that he's probably going to regress a bit. And that's fine. I mean, pretty good for a young guy uh, starting his NHL career. They've got that great top line with Nathan McKinnon. I think because McKinnon structurally changed his attack mode last year, I feel that this is Nathan McKinnon. Like, that was not like a weird, you know, heart runner-up season. This is is what we're going to get out of Nathan McKinnon now because he has figured out how to parlay his speed into a way that makes him almost unstoppable. Mm-hmm. So you're still going to get that offense from the top line, and I think because they have that unit working so well, Miko Rantanen you know, just coming into his prime years. Gabriel Landeskog still not very old himself. Mm-hmm. They've got something working there, so that's great. That's going to keep them in a lot of games um, during the season. But, yeah, as you said, Matt, like there was not a lot of tinkering done by Joe Sackick. That was Definitely the right way to go. If they miss the playoffs and get a nice little lottery pick, that's totally cool. 
you've got a nice foundation. Like Samuel Girard, there's another player that, right. you know, because yeah. of injury, yeah. um, didn't get in that much time, but he's the kind of defenseman you want in the future. So I, I don't think this is the Avs lineup that we're necessarily going to see in a couple of years, but they're in a pretty, pretty decent place right now. Yeah, I think they have a reasonably high floor, so I think they regress slightly maybe to being a 90-point team. But what's really encouraging about uh, the floor, and, and it comes from the McKinnon line, is it's not like, oh, the league's going to wake up and key on that line this year. They right. keyed on the line last year. <laughs> the McKinnon, Ranton, and Landeskog trio, they faced some of the hardest quality of competition, according to the advanced stats, in the league, and they still dominated. So right, you right. throw your best at them, and they still beat you. So they'll beat you again this year. Um, but it's a depth thing, and the depth is coming. But for now, I think it's going to hold them back, especially when teams around them, particularly St. Louis, which almost beat them to the last playoff spot, yeah. improved. And we'll get to the Blues soon. Uh, but before we do the Blues, we're going to do number four, and that's the Dallas Stars. And uh, the Stars are, to me, they have a young, obviously extremely exciting young crop of defensemen led by Miro Heiskanen. Uh, but if you look at the forward group, and Tyler Sagan doesn't have a contract yet, uh, it still seems like this is a team in win-now mode because... Their forwards are, are getting a little long in the tooth. Even Alexander Radulov's into his 30s now. Jason Spezza, final year of his deal. Yeah. So I, I sense some urgency in Dallas, especially for GM Jim Nill, mm. because this team, he, they did so much last offseason to try and get back into the playoffs, and they didn't. Uh, and Martin Hansel's deal, his back injury looks very serious, and I don't, he's not going to be ready to start the season. Um, it kind of blew up in their face, so... I feel like the Stars are one of the teams with the most pressure on them to show signs of progress. It's a matter of will they do it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think, you know, I think that's, that's why Jim Nill was so aggressive this summer in trying to get Tavares, John Tavares, you know, and, uh, and still, you know, was, was very, they were very much in on the Eric Carlson, uh, you know, sweepstakes. And I think that's kind of uh, the kind of move that it's going to take in Dallas because I, I, I just see a team, like you say, Matt, that's, Kind of, it's it's kind of you know that the, there's really uh, not a lot of time here to put something together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, J- Jason Spezza, good guy, plays hard, but you know, I mean, when he's your second line center, um, there's a depth issue there. You know, yeah. um, so I, I I think that um, you know I mean this is a team like you say it's got some good young defensemen. Uh, you know, if Ben Bishop can be the Ben Bishop that we think he can be, they're pretty decent in goal. But I, I don't. This team doesn't excite me. It doesn't. I, I don't look at this team and go, "Wow!" If even if everything falls together, this team could be a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. I don't, I don't see that. And mm-hmm. a question. I think this is a good question for you, Ryan. Is how big is Jim Montgomery's impact going to be? Because we know Ken Hitchcock was a more defense-minded coach, mm-hmm. um, but Montgomery has vowed to up the tempo. So do you think there's going to be a big influence there to really change the team's fortune? I do. And um, I think the thing with Montgomery is uh, I, I was actually talking to Ben Bishop the other week, and he was saying, like, he was pretty excited. You know, Montgomery is a, you know, a young coach. This is his first NHL head coaching gig. Uh, it's a fresh voice. Bishop was, uh, you know, talking about that and how it's, it's kind of cool to have this young guy coming in. And I think that you have a lot of veterans that, I mean, they want to be going in the same direction. They want, I mean, they know that they should have been a playoff team. Um, If Bishop didn't get hurt, I mean, that would have 
helped out a lot, but I mean, Ken, you're totally right about the depth. Um, you know, Val Nachushkin's back. What kind of impact can he have on the wing? Um, I think Heskinen is going to be a really big X factor. Uh, again, watching him in Traverse City just kind of confirmed uh, all the hype. He's so smooth out there. He's so smart. Um, I was talking to Jim Neal about him, and he, you know, he was saying like 99% of the time he makes the right play. Like he just doesn't make that many mistakes. And you know, we talked about this um, with Buffalo, how Rasmus Dahlin will take a lot of pressure off Rasmus Ristolainen. I can see the same thing happening with John Klingberg and Mira Heskinen. I'm not sure if, you know, do you put them on the same pair? Do you put them on different pairs? I'm not sure. But, you know, Heskinen played a ton of minutes in Finland last year. Like, he did not play teenage minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was at the top of the league. And he was very good. You know, best defenseman in the league last year. Played in the Olympics. Played in the World Championship. Um, you know, he's ready to make an impact. And I think the domino effect of having him there as, um, you know, let's just call him the de facto number two behind Klingberg. I think that just frees up other guys to put themselves in better slots on that defense core. So if you get better transition game, get the puck up to Ben and Sagan. Um, I, I think that makes a, a big difference. And I think with Montgomery, um, you know, he made a point to like go over to Europe this summer and talk to guys face to face. Like he talked to them on the phone and he said to Jim Neal, you know what, Jim, like the vibe on the phone, it's not the same. Let me go over there. So he went over to Sweden, went over to Finland, talked to a bunch of those guys there. And I, I think it's that kind of touch that, that brings the guys together even before the season has begun. And I, I think it's, it's going to be positive in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And to me, I, I really do think that, that Nachushkin is an X factor because Dallas's wing depth is, to me... That's the Achilles heel. Mm-hmm. Um, you might move Spezza to the wing because Radic Faxa is pretty legit. He can almost be a number two center now. He's a really good two-way center, super underrated. But you've got, you know, you're relying on Matthias Janmark and Blake Como, and, and it's no disrespect to them, but we know who they are at this point yeah. in their careers. Uh, whereas we don't necessarily know who Valentushkin is. Yeah. There could be upside left there. He was a first-round pick, so maybe he's learned something in the KHL. See, and that, that's what I, that's, but that's what I don't like about this team. I mm-hmm. mean, they're mm-hmm. too predictable and easy to shut down. I mean, they are what they were, right? Yeah. Uh, when you can shut down that top line, you basically have, you know, cracked the code right. to being the Dallas Stars. And I, I don't see that, I don't see anything in this lineup that leads me to believe that that's going to be any different this year. Yeah. Mm. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, next up at third, and this is the team that missed the playoffs by one point last year. We have them back in. And I think many of us would agree this is probably the most improved team in the division for sure. Maybe the conference, maybe the NHL. I think the Blues are right up there. St. Louis Blues. Um, And again, looking at our our new little depth chart, a lot of red names. You're adding Patrick Maroon to the lineup. Ryan O'Reilly and Tyler Bozak at center. David Perron brought back as well. Um, And you have Robbie Fabry coming back after missing a year and a half. He's an addition. That's right. And you're probably going to get an impact rookie I think Robert Thomas looks like the front runner to crack the crack, crack the lineup, and then you never know with Jordan Kiru, Clem Costin. Mm. But the Blues have just have so many positive things going on, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I like what they're building here because they have a nice mix. We already know their defense is pretty solid. Vince Dunn took a nice step forward last year, uh, and the forward group is obviously they're only twenty fourth in offense, but they've really done a lot to try and improve that this year. They're adding veterans, but they're also adding good youth. Uh, it's to me, it's going to come down to, of course, Jake Allen. Yeah. But uh, what do yeah. you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, I talked to um, Ryan O'Reilly last week, and he said, 
he, he just came out and he said a Stanley Cup is possible here. Like mm-hmm. he, th- th- that's kind of the benchmark that that he's setting for this team. And you know now that he's he's in a second line role. I mean he's he's clearly the second second guy behind Braden Shen. And you know with Tyler Tyler Bozak as your third line guy, get playing third line minutes against third line competition. We saw what he was able to do that yeah. do with that in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And then you've got Robert Thomas stepping in probably as a 19 year old. Um, you know, in that fourth line spot, um, that I he will be, in my opinion, the only youngster that makes this team because Doug Armstrong just does not like him. I mean, Robbie Fabry was the first nineteen-year-old he ever had on his team, mm. and uh, he he's counting on on Robert Thomas to be the second. But yeah, like a, just a lot of good vibes around this team. I think I think a lot of people really feel like the moves they made in the offseason addressed a lot of the stuff. Um, you know, this is a team that was in this was a team that was in first place in December, right? Mm-hmm. And then and then Jaden Schwartz goes down, right? For whatever number of weeks with the ankle injury. Um, you know, we were talking about this before, Ryan. It's almost like, you know, Jaden Schwartz, I mean, you know, do, do you do, has he gotten to the point of his career where you just say he's only playing 60 games? Like, yeah. you know, because yeah. you you almost you, you know, you know, it's counterintuitive to what you say. Like you, you usually say, well, you can't really count on guys getting injured. But but you can almost count on Schwartz. Almost count on him getting injured, yeah. missing you know six weeks of the season. So you know that'll be an X factor as well. But you know, like you say, it comes down to goaltending. Um, I think Jake Allen was what the Blues were last year. He was great at the beginning. And then he just got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse as well, the year went on. I'll give you these are Jake Allen's save percentages by month, okay? okay. Month to month last year. 921, 891. 922, 871. 877, 916, 896. Yeah. Most con- inconsistent goaltender in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, at this point, I think if you see Allen struggling again before the trade deadline, you got to do something. Yeah. Because you cannot waste so many primes. That they have right now. It's funny we haven't even talked about Vladimir Tarasenko. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and he was he was a bit quiet last year. Still a great goal scorer. You know. I mean, let's not pretend he was a fourth liner or anything like that. But mm-hmm. I think that you know, the, with the additions that they've made up front, um, even though Tarasenko is one of the best goal scorers in the league, I, I get kind of like a wolf pack feeling about the Blues forwards now and that's what will make them so dangerous is okay we got to watch out for Tarasenko well okay we also have to watch out for Jaden Schwartz well okay we also have to watch out for Patrick Maroon mm-hmm. in front of the net and and that's where I think they'll be able to do a death by a thousand cuts kind of thing on most nights still have a pretty nice defense uh led by Alex Petrangelo and Colton Pareko um you know Jay Bomeister can still give you some minutes he's not the same guy he was 10 years ago but you know I mean, you deploy him as you see fit, and you'll be okay. Um, the internal competition's great. I agree uh, on that point. And I think Robert Thomas will be a lot of fun to watch. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's really it's all on Jake Allen because they don't have, like, a, a 1B goaltender right now. And no, Jake, he's they 28. Johnson. And Jake Allen's 28. We can't call him a prospect anymore. No, no. 28 no, years old. No, no, he's, he's – it's, you know, I mean, he's playing in the – Show me state, and he better yeah. start showing people. I see what you yeah. did. I see what you did there. Yeah. Yeah. Random, <laughs> random side note: Vladimir Tarasenko, the single most jacked guy in the entire NHL. Yes, he's huge. Yes, huge. But don't call him a tank. He doesn't like the militaristic. Uh, 
Oh, no. Yeah. Wow. I remember uh, he, he mentioned that years ago. I was like, that's pretty poignant. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. He doesn't like the militaristic overtones. The more you know. Exactly. Uh, now we're getting to the juggernaut district, and I think the two teams at the top, these are two clear top four overall in the NHL, Stanley Cup contenders. Mm-hmm. These are the bullies, uh, and we're going to start with number two, the National Predators, the reigning President's Trophy winners. They were quiet this offseason other than adding Dan Hamus to make a luxury bottom pair. Um, but <laughs> yeah, they, didn't, yeah, they yeah. didn't really have – I mean, they won the President's Trophy, so they were the best team last year. The question is, can they get over the hump? And I think the, the first question we have to ask specifically about the team is about Pekka Rene. He wins mm. the Vezina Trophy a couple, mu- a couple weeks after he was pulled three times in one series. Yeah. So can the Predators win the Stanley Cup if they keep starting Pekka Rene? Well, can they get out of the second round? That's a great question. That, that, that'll, because that's where it's, that's what it's going to come to. True. Right? Because um, they got to get out of their own division. And the team we just happen to be picking. Should I? Like, yeah. Should I? Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, picking it's like, to win the Stanley Cup. They're already it's listening. They're already in that division. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I mean, I mean, there are, other than the fact that Pekka Rene's 37? 36, I believe. 36, 37? 35. Over two. This is why you make notes before the podcast, everybody. But his birthday's November 3rd, so, you know, he will be be 36 36. early in the season. Um, I mean, other than that, uh, and the fact that they don't have, still don't have, in my opinion, a true bona fide Studley Hungwell number one center. Oh, man, why did I say that? Hung well. <laughs> they don't have a studly number one center. Uh, I, I, Can't spend a lot of time that? in the Preds' room, I yeah, guess. Yeah. Other, other than that, other than that, I mean, there's there's not a lot to dislike about this team. I mean, I, I could see them winning the President's Trophy again. I could see them winning the Stanley Cup. Yes. Yeah, I mean, they, they, for them, winning the Stanley Cup, is, it's good. they're going to have to get out of that, like, Getting out of their own division is the Stanley Cup almost for this mm-hmm. team. Yeah, really. And I think it's a it's a valid concern as to what Pecorine still has left in the tank. But I think the, the good thing for the Preds is UC Saros uh, has already shown that he can be a legit NHL netminder. And, I mean, maybe it comes down to the regular season UC Saros gets like 35 starts. And when you get down the stretch... Peter Laviolette has to look at his goaltenders and say, who's hot now? You know? Because I think even though Rene has the experience, I mean, the playoffs have been very up and down for him the past couple of years, even when they went to the final. With Soros, a bit of an unknown quantity in terms of postseason experience. Uh, so you are taking a little bit of a chance there. Mm-hmm. But fortunately, Nashville has the best defense in the NHL. They can cover a lot of mistakes. They can help out a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ryan Ellis could be back full force. You've got just so much depth. You got Phil Forsberg up front. Uh, I, I think they have that luxury where they can figure out their problems before the problems get too big. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, a Nashville Winnipeg series seems inevitable once again, and it's going to be awesome. Amazing. Again, again. Yeah. and to me, it's like to summarize the biggest problem I think for Nashville is if you list, look at this list of names, okay? Blake Wheeler, Patrick Laine, Mark Scheifele, Steven Stamkos, Nikita Kucherov, Austin Matthews, John Tavares, David Pasternak, Patrice Bergeron, Philip Forsberg, Victor Arvidsson. Yeah. 
which names yeah. don't fit. Yeah, yeah. The Predators don't have elite offensive players at forward. They have good offensive players, but both guys are established 30-goal guys. Mm-hmm. They're not 40-goal guys or 50-goal guys, whereas a lot of the other top contenders have 100-point threats, 50-goal threats. Mm. And I think that's the biggest reason why. I mean, it was goaltending, but it was also the guys putting the pucks past Pecorine that were the biggest problem. Mark Scheifele was just carrying Winnipeg on his shoulders in that series. Mm-hmm. And Nashville doesn't have a Mark Scheifele either. They don't have a Wheeler, they don't have a Line A, they don't have a Shifley, they don't they maybe maybe they don't have a Nikolai Ehlers. Uh, to me, it's really gonna come down to either a trade or Ely Tolvanen, who might have that kind of ceiling. He was better at his age than Evgeny Kuznetsov in the KHL. Mm. But what do you think? Is Tolvanen the real deal? Can he handle the North American game? I think that's a big question mark and they're gonna have to to give him some reps, I think that training camp will be really crucial to see what he can do in exhibition play on the smaller ice. Because um, he tends to be more of a outside guy. Uh, he's not a net-crashing presence. It's all about his release. I mean, his shot is wicked. So if he can get it off, if he can get into good positions, then I think you've got something there. But it's, it, there's going to be a learning curve. And as exciting as he was in the KHL, not same league. It's not same style of play. It's not as yeah, fast. And I think it's not as physical. Yeah. And you have less time to make decisions in the NHL. So Nashville has the luxury of slow cooking Tolvanen because we know they're going to be one of the best teams in the league already. Yeah. If he has to go to Milwaukee and figure things out, they have that time. So I'm not sure if he can be that impact player this year. Um, but fortunately... It's it's not a a deal breaker for Nashville's yeah, chances. Yeah, I, th- I think I think hitching your wagon to that happening is is a bit of a dicey proposition. Yes, I think one of two things happens: he either plays on the top two lines and and struggles and plays out of his element and gets learns the lessons the hard way, mm-hmm. uh, or he you know plays third line minutes against third line competition and gets sheltered and puts up some pretty decent numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, either way. Not having the effect on the game that maybe you would, you, you know, want, you would you yeah. would need to to have that you know to have that guy that you're talking about mm-hmm. that you know the, the, those sort of star guys that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So I mean, to expect him to do that in year one, I think is a bit rich, you know. So yeah. it's yeah. funny. The scouting report sounds like Phil Kessel to me. Great release plays on the perimeter, mm. but also kind of you know. Mm. Does well in the insulated matchups. So there Good. you go, just like in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we're at number one, and we're at our Stanley Cup pick. We picked them to win the Stanley Cup four years ago on that cover, of course, prophesizing the 2019 Stanley Cup champions, and we're stroking our egos from sticking <laughs> with it. Uh, we yeah, we're going all in. Like, going all in. There is no like. There's no waffling. There's no nothing. We are all in with this team. And it was yeah. a staff consensus when we had our meeting. Every single guy picked Winnipeg to win the Stanley Cup. And we think they're the most complete and star-studded and stacked team in hockey. Uh, and I think that's pretty clearly established. We know they have so much star power. So it's almost like we're better off discussing what could go wrong. Because mm. are there any flaws? Is there any weakness that you can exploit? Is it is it the Josh Morrissey contract situation that could destroy Winnipeg this no. year? I don't know. Yeah. No, and it's not Jacob Truba because even if he hates it there, he's still got this year and next year there because... He's an RFA that he was an RFA this year, went to arbitration. He's an RFA next summer. He'll have to go to arbitration again. So he's going to be there for a couple of years, even if he hates it, and he'll be really good. Um, 
I don't know, I guess the one thing that you might be concerned about is what do you have in Connor Hillbuck, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, is he the guy that was their goalie last year and this is part of the progression and he's, you know, he's going to move on and now he's going to be a Vezina finalist for the ten, next 10 years? Or, you know, does he regress back to being the guy that they kind of really didn't know what they had with him, you know? Um, I guess that would be the one thing that would be a bit of a concern because th- there's, there's literally zero goaltending depth behind him. You know, yeah, it's, they're going young with Comrie yeah, and Brossois. Yeah. yeah, so so I mean that, you know, or an injury to him, a major injury to him, it's something like that, I guess, would be the fly in the ointment. Yeah, that's what I was thinking was if Hellbuck gets hurt, then you're you're in some trouble. And and again, it's it's a timing thing. If he gets hurt in November and comes back in December, who cares? But if he gets hurt in the first round of the playoffs, then you might be tanked. Otherwise, yeah, I mean the defense core. Gives you so many different looks. It's so much fun, and you have so much firepower up front. Mark Scheifele, I mean, is he a sneaky heart candidate this year? He is. If he plays 82 I'm games. Not, I'm not sure if it's sneaky. Yeah, I think yeah, he's a legit yeah. heart candidate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So, yeah. I mean, they've, they've got the elements. I mean, they can score. They've got Patrick size. Patrick Line, we're all in agreement, is going to win the Rocket Richard And Kobe. certainly the front runner. And yeah. Patrick Line, um, and it, it was his agent, Mike Liu, that pointed this out to me, actually. Uh, last week, because uh, people try to compare Line and Ovechkin, but Patrick Line has, has 80 career goals at the age before Ovechkin had even played an NHL game. So he's actually wow. ahead of Ovechkin. Only this season in year three is he the age that Ovi was as a rookie. So uh, Patrick Line is the most yeah, prolific. Because the lockout. Because of the lockout. Yeah. Yeah. And if you adjust for error, you got guys like Jimmy Carson, Dale Howardchuk, but Patrick Line is the most prolific teenage goal scorer adjusted for error in the history of NHL hockey. Wow. So that just gives you an idea of how much more ceiling he could hit. He's doing this as a teen. So yes, Rocket Richard, he's got to be our pick. Uh, yeah, I would think so. Right. And the thing about Hellebuck can... Um, and Ryan, you can back me up on this, I think, is because you would have studied him more during his prospect days. Mm-hmm. But to me, last year was what, what was expected of him. The year before was the anomaly. Mm-hmm. He was always supposed to be good. He was dominant playing with pros at the World Championship before he was even an NHLer. He was a big-time prospect. Yeah. So to me, this is – last year was his coronation of what he, he, is, was, what he, he was always supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and he is what he's showing to be, right? Yeah, yeah because yeah. Uh, for me last year, the only question about him was – Okay, well, you've done it in the regular season. Can you do it in the playoffs? And he was good in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, until, until the I – mean, I mean, they all ran out of gas. They, yeah. They all ran out of gas. They all ran out of, ran yeah. of gas. That's and, fine. And he got out-goaltended by Marc-Andre Fleury in the Western Conference Finals. Yes. But that is almost a tip of the cap to Fleury, who was just out, lights out in that series. Exactly. Right? I think for Hailbuck, you know, the fact that he showed he can win a series, that was like – that was the confirmation. It's like, okay, that we have our goal. Right, and he won two series. That's yeah. right. Uh, what I wonder about the team a little bit is um, do they have the proper replacement for Paul Stastny? Brian Little's going to be the number two center right now between Ellers and, and Line. But I'm hoping to see, I mean, during the fantasy podcast, I talked about Jack Roslevic possibly mm. elevating to that role. He brings so much speed to a lineup that already has Kyle Connor and Nikolai Ellers. Yeah. Uh, but if Roslevic takes that step forward, it's like, my God. Then yeah. the Jets are going to have 120 points because they're already going to have 115 <laughs> points. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's fun. I mean, they have just so many fun options. 
Yeah, at this point, we're clearly just nitpicking. They're a Stanley Cup pick. They're stacked. They have no true weakness. If we're just if we're forecasting a Connor Hellebuck injury is their biggest problem, yeah, exactly. a guy who doesn't have injury history or problems, yeah. then obviously we're nitpicking. We love the Jets this year, and they are going to be the kings of the Central Division. That's it for this preview this week, and next up we will be doing the Metro Division. Thanks for listening, everybody.